a Sunday night. I don't actually speak that often on a Sunday night. And here I am two times in three weeks. But this is part two of my message from a couple of weeks ago. It's very exciting to hear what's happening at Moray Field. And I do want to thank you, all of you who made the trek last week to go out to Moray Field and fill that building. It was a wonderful night, an exciting night. And I had so many people just come to me afterwards and just excited about what God was doing and what it was, it was just a, a, just a nice fill-up in our soul, in the soul of the church. So thank you for coming along, and thank you to everyone who worked so hard and diligently to make that happen. I'm going to pray right now. Father, I pray that you would use this word. This word is in my spirit, oh God, and I pray that you would get it out. Lord, that you would speak to people, oh God. It wouldn't be just my words that means something, but you take it and you make it life. You make it so that people can live and, and live unrestricted this year, oh God. Holy Spirit, I, I give you this word for you to use and for you to work. And I pray, let it do something in people's hearts and let it set people free and let it build resilience, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So what is our theme this year? Live, well done. And uh, two weeks ago, I spoke on live looking forward. And uh, as I did it, there was a part of the message that I felt I really wanted to kind of pull out, but it was just going to be too long. So I thought, let's do part two. And uh, I'm glad I did because I feel I've got something really to say tonight. And I believe that things I'm going to say tonight will stay with you the rest of your life and will help you in your workplaces, in your families, in your whole life. And I just think it's a, it's a good word of wisdom tonight. So allow your wisdom to be like a radar, picking up what it is that God is saying so you can hear and help yourself in the future of your life. So no, I, I talked about three things last time when in Live Looking Forward. So I'll do a quick rehash. Number one was get a kingdom vision for your life. Don't just have a vision for your life but have the vision and agree with the vision and connect to the vision that God has for your life. Then number two was that no matter what your past was, no matter your intelligence, your abilities, your opportunities, or your environment, doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, God has a vision for your life. You're not an accident. You're built and made with a purpose. God knew who you were in your, in your mother's womb. And whatever the circumstances you come from, God has a vision for your life. And number three was, don't get stuck. And that's why he gives us vision in the first place. Vision is to make us keep moving forward so we don't get stuck in the now. And the best way to get unstuck the best way to move forward in your life is to actually get a vision from God. So tonight I want to build upon those things and talk to you about how God's vision for your life works in the real world. What does it mean to have a vision? What does it mean to have a God vision? And how about when you live in a real world with a whole lot of people who just couldn't care less, one, about a God vision, Two, about God, and certainly not about a God vision in your life. Yet, there are people that have an influence in your life. 
They may be a leader. They may be a boss. They may be a parent. And all of a sudden, these people are over having major influence in your life, yet they couldn't care less about God and probably are just actually selfish and only care about themselves. How does God's vision work under those circumstances? So we're going to look at how to keep hold of your vision when people who are the key to your future don't have any sense of vision. Maybe it's a ministry area, and, and maybe your leader doesn't see your vision because he's too worried about getting their own vision happening. So tonight we're going to discuss how do you keep looking forward when someone of authority in your life is actually trying to hold you back? How do you go forward? How do you have a forward vision with people who are actually trying to hold you back? So tonight, we're going to have a look at the story of Laban and Jacob. Now, it's about four chapters long of the, uh, the book of Genesis. So I could read you four chapters, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to summarize it for you. All right, and I'm going to give you the bit of story. So I need you paying attention, and I want you kind of thinking and picturing the people as I speak about it and thinking a bit about yourself. How would I react in those circumstances? If that happened to me, what would I do? So get your imaginarium working. All right, so Jacob is the son of Isaac. Who's the son of Abraham? Jacob's mother's name is Rebekah, and she has a brother whose name is Laban. So God brings Rebekah and Isaac. So God brings Jacob's parents together in a miraculous way. But even though God brought the marriage together in a miraculous way, it wasn't a good marriage. These people were deceiving each other. These people were having favorites with their children and playing them off against each other and doing all sorts of things. And I want to tell you, even if your marriage is heaven sent, it's still actually maintained here on earth. It doesn't matter what happened in heaven, whether heaven thinks it's a great idea. It matters how you act with people here. That's just for free, got nothing to do with my message. So Isaac and Rebecca have two sons. One's name is Esau, he's the oldest, and Jacob, he's the youngest. And according to their traditions, the oldest one gets everything, and the youngest one gets zip, nada, nothing. Right? So not very equitable, and you can understand why there may be family issues when that's the kind of system. Jacob, understandably, doesn't like this arrangement, so he does two things. At a point of vulnerability, when Esau's been out hunting and he comes back and he's just about to die of dehydration and of starvation and he thinks he's about to die, Jacob comes to him with a pot of stew and says, I'll give you this stew if you give me your birthright. So his birthright was that you're going to have everything. Right? And so he says, you, you give it. And Esau thinking, well, I'm going to die anyway. Or I'm here. Take my birthright. He eats the stew. And so what we see is we see, if we look at back in vision, right, we see someone who's so consumed by what's going on in his day and the problems of his now that he actually forgets about his future, forgets about what God has for him, and basically bankrupts himself of his future because he only wants to live in today. He only wants to live in today. So uh, he has no forward thinking and he sells out his future for the now, for the immediate. 
See, this is what happens when you don't live in God vision for your life. Everything today seems more important than anything tomorrow. And you live your life in the meaningless pursuit of instant gratification. And eventually, really, to be honest, your life never mounts up to anything. Jacob also then goes on and deceives his father and he gets the family blessing. So what it was in those days, uh, uh, the, the patriarch of the family would pray a blessing as he was going to die over the family. And, that, and, and he would pray that over the older son or the son you know, who was going to get that. And so what happens, you see Jacob deceives him. Jacob and Rebekah actually deceive him. And he gives it done and, and it's done in the dark. And we see later on that in the dark, Jacob himself is deceived. And I want to tell you what is of the dark is always deceptive no matter how you want to spin it to yourself. If you have to do something in secret, if you have to do something in where people can't really know and, and I've got to just keep it, then I want to tell you it's not probably much of God. Don't spin it to yourself that that's the way because what is of the light can come to the light. So Esau finds this out and he decides, that's it, I'm going to kill my brother. So Rebecca and Jacob hatch a plot so that Esau's not going to kill Jacob and they send him to Rebekah's brother Laban. Laban's living quite a far away. And on the way, this is important, on the way to there, Jacob has an encounter with God that is so real to him that it gets him through the next 20 years. He has an encounter with God where he sees God and he sees the majesticness of God and God gives him that vision and says, you are going to have land, you are going to have uh, ancestors, as many as the stars of the, the sky and the sands of the sea, and it's, you're just going to be blessed. The lands that you're going to go to are going to come yours. And, and, and it's interesting, he puts aside all of his deceiving ways, and he's about to meet the king of all deceivers in Laban. God gives him his God vision. God shows him what God sees for Jacob's life. And the vision that God put into Jacob's heart that day changes him and keeps him looking forward no matter what happens the rest of his life. The vision is very similar to Abraham's and Isaac. You're going to be blessed, have much land, countless ancestors. See, God's vision comes in headlines and then it's up to you to write the story. Right? So you get the headline, I want to do this with you. And then you get to write the story. So many of us think that the vision of God takes away our choice, takes away our abilities, but no. What happens is he gives us his headline, says, this is what I've put in you, now go make that happen. And it is a definite partnership between God and man. He says, go, I've given you this, this is for you, I'm with you, now go and do this but it's your choice, what you do, how you do. Are you going to act in the fruit of the Spirit? Are you going to act in love? Are you going to act in resilience? Are you going to act with character? What are you going to do? Are you going to allow sin to come in? What are you going to do? It's your choice. You get to write the story, even though God gives you the headline. That's why it says many are called, many get the, get the vision, but you are chosen because it's the choices that you make that decide whether that calling becomes an actual chosenness. All right, so here we go. So Jacob goes on and he finds Laban, who's only too happy to have a good young bloke, strong young man, come and work on the farm. Now here we go, this is great. 
Jacob sees Laban's daughter, Rachel, and the Bible says that she is good to look at and good of form, right? The Bible says that. It says that she's good of form, but her sister isn't, right? So she's got weak eyes, and that's just so good. So it's ultimate, ultimate love at first sight. This is modern-day maths, right? This is modern-day maths. It's straight out of, like, it's, it's amazing, right? So he sees her. She's like, oh, my goodness, look how good-looking she is. And, and she's like, Oh, I, I can't move this rock over here. If only I had a, a strong man who could build a rock. And there's, oh, Jacob, oh, look at this, look at these muscles. And he sits down and he, he moves this rock and his muscles. This is like a mass episode. And then they fall down. The Bible says he just goes over and kisses her. Right? That's like mass. It's like The Bachelor. They're kissing everyone all the time. Right, it's reality TV, 5000 BC. And see, this is where we see the first part of Laban's character. He makes a deal with Jacob. He's not just willing to give his daughter. He goes, no, nah, there has to be something in it for me. And so he makes a deal with Jacob. He says, okay, if you want to have my daughter as your wife, he goes, then you've got to work for me for seven years. And he goes, that's the deal of the century. That's awesome. I'd love to do that. So he says, yes, I'll work. And the Bible says because of his love of her, it says that it just flew by. He just loved every day walking, doing his work. And he see Rachel. Oh, there's Rachel. I'll be able to kiss her again in seven years. I'll be able to kiss her again in six years. Right? And it's just, you know, like amazing. So uh, he makes a deal and, 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 and it's, it's, they go, it flies by. But then it comes to the wedding time. And they have this great wearing ceremony. And then what it says is that like Laban pulls a Swifty. And, and, and he, and he kind of substitutes Rachel for Leah, the, the ugly sister. Like it's like a, uh, you can't say that now, can you? It's like a fairy tale, right? Like, you know, they have the ugly sisters in Cinderella, right? So he just substitutes. By the way, if you're feeling bad for, for Leah, when Jacob dies, he asks to be buried next to Leah. So that's another story, another sermon, right? But um, so he substitutes Leah. So Jacob doesn't work it out to the next day. And I just think that's a really good reason not to get drunk at your wedding, right? <laughs> so Laban says, okay, you've got to work another seven years, and then I'll give you Rachel. Now what happens is that he gets the agreement, and then a week later, he has two wives. He can now be with Rachel and with Leah. But what happens is that he has to uh, work another seven years. So that's 14 years. And, uh, and, he, and, and, and it's, it's, uh, then it goes on. So after 14 years, he tells Laban, I'm going. Laban says, hey, not so fast. Everything you have is because of me. You had nothing when you got here. And everything you have is because of me. But he really knows, Laban, the Bible says, knows that what's happening, he's blessed because of Jacob being with him. And he doesn't want to lose Jacob because it's Jacob's blessing that's making him rich and look good. I want to tell you, the loudest indication that someone is a Laban is when they say to you, you wouldn't be anything if it wasn't for me. They forget that it was you who worked hard and blessed them. Right? And, and that's something you really remember. People who say that you're, you wouldn't be anything if it wasn't for me, I promise you, they are never out for your good. 
Right? They're only out for themselves. They don't want to see you do well. And, that, and just take that as just a, a little principle that will help you in life. No matter what they say, they're only really interested in feathering their own nest. So Jacob comes up with a plan and he says, give me all the spotted and speckled sheep. And they were the less valuable ones. They were of less quality and there were fewer of them. So he's, he's making it easy. He says, I'm not trying to rip you off. He goes, I've been working and doing these things. Your flocks have increased and it's all wonderful. He goes, I, I'll get the spotted and the speckled ones. You have the plain ones. You have the clear ones. And, uh, and uh, Laban goes, yep, all right, that, that sounds like good because he thinks Jacob's a sucker, right? But even then, what he does, in the middle of the night, he gets his sons to take all the spotted and speckled flock and take them about a three days away. So, you know, like he's got no spotted and speckled sheep to take with him. Jacob is perturbed because he has a dream in his heart. He has a vision that God's given to him. It's a vision for a life. So what he does is he gets some sticks of almonds and some poplar trees and he puts them all together and then he puts them in the trough where the sheep kind of uh, drink. And what he would do is when he would see the strong ones coming, he would sit down and he would put them quickly in the, in the thing and then the sheep would uh, you know, come and drink and then the rams would come and get busy if you get my drift. Right, and, uh, and sheep would be made. Right, so while they were doing, they were looking at the, the, the sticks in the water. Jacob does this because he wants big and good and solid sheep. Right, so what happens is that like all of a sudden, the sheep start and the goats start producing lots of spotted and lots of speckled and, and it becomes a good thing and they're all strong sheep and Laban gets upset because he's only got a lot of weak little white sheep. Right, so... Right, Jacob reads the writing on the wall. We're getting to near the story, right? He reads, he reads the writing on the wall. He hears Laban's sons talking about him, and he knows it's time to leave. He knows that Laban's about to do him harm, so he leaves quickly. Laban finds out, chases after him, catches up with him after three days. He wants to kill Jacob, but God speaks to Laban and says, don't you touch him. He's mine. And I want to say, when you've got a God vision, people who want to hurt you can't hurt you because God will always look after you because that's what he said he would do. God's always got your back and nothing will really kill, steal and destroy from you when Jesus is told, you've got to live. When Jesus put that over your life, nothing's going to be stolen from, nothing's going to be killed, nothing's going to be uh, destroyed in your life. So there's the story. Did you enjoy that? To be honest, if I read the four chapters, it probably would have been quicker, right? But it wouldn't have been as exciting as my telling of the story. So let's look at some things from that story. So how, how can you tell that an authority is a Laban? How can you distinguish a Laban authority over an authority that God is using to mold you and make you into the person that you want to be and that he wants you to be. Well, I want to say right from the start, you can't really because God uses the Labans in our lives to actually mold us. He actually uses those type of people who have no interest in us to mold us and make us and to become the people that he wants us to be. But there are signs of the Laban personality. And we're going to look at some scriptures. Genesis 29 verse 19, Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. Laban's always have an angle 
where it seems like they're doing you a favor, but it's really for them. Genesis 29, verse 23. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Laban's never quite give you what they promise. Genesis 29, 26. Laban said, it is not, it is, it is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Laban's always have an unknown, sneaky reason why they did what they did. All right, Genesis 29, verse 27. Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Laban's always have you doing one more thing before you get what you want. Genesis 30, verse 35. But that day Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted. Laban's played dirty, directly trying to hurt you so they can help themselves. Genesis 31, verse 6. And Laban said to Jacob, what have you done? That you have tricked me and driven away my daughters like captives of the sword. Laban's always make it seem like you're the bad guy and then call your motives into question. Genesis 31, 28. And why did you not permit me to kiss my sons and daughters farewell? Laban's will always try to emotionally manipulate you. And last one. Uh, Genesis 31 verse 29 is my power to do you harm. Laban's eventually always resort to threats. There'll always be some sort of threat. And so there are Laban's in all of our lives. And if we think about some of the people that we've had to deal with, bosses and, and different people, there are Laban's that are in their life. But you can actually flip this. You can actually flip this because it can be a two-way street. You could actually be a False disciple. False disciples do all those same things to their leaders. They say they're wanting to help their leader, but they really just want to help themselves. They never keep their promises. There's always some sneaky reason, an unknown reason why they didn't achieve what they said they were going to achieve. There's always one thing they need from you, another thing. When, when this happens, I'll come through. And when that happens, you'll get what you said, uh, what I said I'd do. They, they play dirty and they actually have no real intent to help you because it's all about them. They make the leader the bad guy. They get emotional to get their way and they threaten to leave if they don't get their way. So you can be a good disciple or you can be a false disciple. You can be a Laban leader or you can be a good leader. So I would tell you, be a good disciple. So back to my message. How does Jacob deal with Laban? And you'd all have to agree to me, this guy is not a nice man. He is not a man, God man. So I got a good man. Number one, Jacob worked hard. This is Genesis 31, verse 41. These 20 years I've been in your house. 20 years. I served you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flock. Seven years for Rachel, seven years for Leah, six years for the flock. And you've changed my wages 10 times. See, when you live looking forward because you have a God vision, you just keep working hard, trusting that God will look after you. Jacob knew he wasn't entitled to a thing, which is very interesting 
because he had spent years manipulating his way, deceiving his way, lying his way, supplanting his way to get his way. He'd done that again and again and again, right? But now he understands that I'm not entitled to a thing and he works for everything that he's got. And because he's working hard, he hasn't got time to daydream about how tough his life was. I want to tell you, Jesus is looking for laborers for the harvest. There are no easy places in the kingdom of God. There's nothing easy about serving kingdom. I had a pastor who wanted to say, you what ministry is? I can give it to you in a four-letter word, P-A-I-N, pain, right? In ministry is tough because you have a heart for people and you want the best for them, but it doesn't always work out. There's all sorts of things that go on. Doing things for the kingdom is about work. Wishing and hoping and wanting it isn't enough. You gotta pray, you gotta fast, you gotta read, you gotta study, you gotta visit, you gotta go out and, and organize. I wanna say, more I feel did not just happen. A whole lot of people work really hard. Many people work late into the night because that's why it happened. It didn't just happen because we wished it would have. We just go, oh, I hope it's good. No, people worked hard. See, the only thing free in the kingdom of God is God's love and His grace. That's the only thing free. and We work for everything else, so to speak. Number two, Jacob didn't complain. Not one time in those four chapters does he complain about Laban. And let's face it, he had something to complain about. Right? It's, it's, it's not like he was just good, it was just some minor little thing. No, he's been ripped off his wife, right? And, that, and he's got something to complain about. In the New Testament, there are two types of, or two people that complain about their master. One is the one who has given one talent, and the other is the guy who got paid the same wages as the other people, even though he had worked longer hours. The guy with one talent calls his master harsh, and he makes up a scenario in his head about the master reaping where he hasn't sowed. Now, the Bible doesn't say that that's who he was. He makes up that scenario. He decides that that's what his master is like. That guy is too harsh. He's too hard. I don't like him. He's not a nice person. And because of that, I'm going to withhold my gift. It says then that he sees the others making, you know, five more talents and three more talents. And he goes, well, I can't do that. And out of his insecurity, he decides that his master's harsh and I'm now not going to do what it is. So he gives up the master's too harsh. And I want to say to you, don't let your insecurity make up a scenario in your head about how harsh your authority is. I want to tell you, every time someone starts telling me about how bad their boss is, how bad this person is about, I, I pretty much kind of turn off and just go, that's insecurity. And I don't give a lot of people that much consolation because to put it broadly, I know if they use that one talent, they would get two. And then they'd use that two talents and they would get four. And they'd use that four talents and they would get eight and so on and so on and so on. So eventually if they're just faithful, eventually if they just use what it is that God has put in their hand, they will get to whatever it is that they are thinking that someone else has got. So don't let your insecurity steal from you your destiny and make up some scenario about a boss or someone 
that God is just using to mold and make you. The other guy gets mad because even though the master pays what he said he was going to pay, and he actually lives up to the deal, he feels, well, I started at 12 o'clock, I got paid this much, I know you said I was going to get paid that much, I know that you gave me what you said you were going to do, but these guys, they start an hour later, two hours later, three hours later, you paid them the same, it's not fair. And I want to say those words, it's not fair, are going to stop anyone from achieving and seeing the God vision worked out in your life. My authority is unfair. If I hear that, life is unfair. It's not fair. It's not fair. And I sometimes when I'm playing squash, something will happen, right? On the other day, this is literally on Friday, I played squash. Mark Bromley hit a mishit, won the game. It was a mishit. He wasn't meaning to do what he did. He hit the and it was a miss. Oh, it's unfair. It is unfair. But you know what? I just got to deal with it, don't I? You know, you notice he's not here today. He's, been, he's going to another church now. But uh, no, 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 not really. God is not fair. God's just. Have a look at this picture. See, fair is on the left. Everyone gets the same. But it isn't the same. Just is that everyone can see. That's who God is. God is just. God is not fair. Fair is overrated. Fair is just like, just because I gave one to someone, and I used to do this with my children, just because I bought a chocolate for one of my kids doesn't mean I've got to buy the other ones a chocolate because their time will come when I'll buy them an ice cream and I won't buy it. It's just about, I want to teach them to be happy with those who got something rather than unhappy the fact that they haven't got something. It's just God is not fair, God is just. See, if you find yourself giving up because your authority seems harsh or unfair, don't. Keep God's vision for your life so you continually live looking forward. Complaining is just evidence that you're looking backwards or you've become stuck. And you need to have an encounter with God and stir that vision again. Number three, Jacob knew that God had his back. Genesis 31 verse 11, then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes and see all the goats that are mate with the flock are striped, spotted and mottled for I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. See, it may seem like God doesn't see, but God knows what's happening to you and when it needs to stop, or when it's going to affect the destiny and the vision and the God call that's in your life, God will intervene. It's not for you to see what God's doing. It's for God to see what the Laban is doing. See, when you have God's vision for your life, it doesn't mean unfairness or harshness is not directed your way. I think we would all agree that Laban is both unfair and he is both harsh. But those two things don't affect the God call or the God vision that God has for Jacob. See, God sees every unfairness that's thrown your way. And in due season, you will be rewarded. As Galatians tells us, don't grow weary in doing good, for God is not mocked. If you continually do good, and stuff bad, bad, bad happens. Good, 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 bad, bad, bad. That mocks God. And when you continually say, okay, I know my season's coming. 
That season is not due season yet. You might be wishing it was now, but it's not yet. Your season isn't yet, but as you continue doing good, as you don't grow weary in doing good, in due season you will, will reap. Having a God vision for your life means that your due season is coming because God has promised it to you. God has shown it to you. God has given it to you. Number four, Jacob did something so he could see in his spirit what he had yet to see with his eyes. Everything that Laban did was against saying that the God vision, the God call, the the thing that God had put in his heart could never happen because it seemed like Laban was in control. Let's see what Jacob did. Then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees and he peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks in the troughs, that is the watering places where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks so that the flocks brought forth striped, speckled and spotted. See, when you can't physically see the vision or your promise yet, it's just a promise, you can't yet see it. You need to build something that's going to give you vision. You need to make something that's going to enable you to see what it is that God has said. So he built these things and put it in a trough. So when a sheet came, but it gave him faith. You need to get a scripture and you write that somewhere. You need to have a song. You need to have a story. You need to have a vision. You need to put up a picture. You know, one of the reasons that I was so kind of strong about coming to Morayfield last week wasn't just so we could feel good, even though we did feel good. One of the reasons was it was my spotted and speckled sheep. You know, when Pastor Joe and the team start praying for Morayfield, they've seen it. They've seen a full building. You know, this morning when they came, there was 120 or so. There wasn't the 450 of last week. But, you know, they can pray in 450 because they've seen it. They've seen it now. When Merge Church thinks of Morayfield, they don't think of this small little group meeting in a school hall. They think of something that's large, and so something of faith is generated. They've seen it. They've seen it. Why do I tell you, come to summit when we eventually will do another summer? Why do I want you here? Is because it's saying, this is what we're believing for. This is what we're wanting to see. And so you need to have a scripture, a picture. You need to have something that you can, that you can pray over, that you can see in the mind of the Spirit because you're not seeing it in the natural. So how are you going to see it in the Spirit? That's one of the keys to vision. That's what vision is. I see it in the Spirit. I don't see it with my eyes. When my eyes open, it's just an empty building. When my eyes open, there's no one who has come to a salvation order. No one has been, when I see that, but I, but I see it in the Spirit. I see something happening in the Spirit because that's what I see. It's not what I see here. It's what I see here. It's what God has put in here. And so I ask you today, what, what Scripture do you have? What song do you have? 
What person do you, do you have that inspires you and, uh, and that brings vision into your life? What are you doing that you keep alive the vision that God's put in your heart, even though you haven't seen it yet with your eyes? And that's the walk of faith. That's the walk of faith, friends. It's when you walk to that which God has painted a picture of. I remember being in America once, and there was a guy named Steve Munsey, a very interesting fella. Right? He had clip-on hair. Literally, I walked into the bathroom, and he was there, and he had four things in his head and clipped on his hair. Right? So there you go. Right? So he's a very strange man, but there was something about him. He had a massive church in a place called Munster, uh, Illinois. And he had a massive church there. It was, it, was just, it was just a fantastic church. And he took us into the car park and he described a building that wasn't there. It was just, it was just a, a field. He described a building better than I could if I was describing an actual building. He had vision. And I want to tell you that building is there now. Right? That building is there now. Your ability to see in the spirit that activates faith. It activates faith. That's why God gives you vision. See, it's not hard for me to believe for five congregations for a merged church. I've seen it. I don't know where they are. I don't know how they're going to happen. I don't know any of that. I know the headline. I now got to write the story. And God's going to help me and God's going to show me and God's going to be with me. But that's what I'm praying for. That's what I'm working for today. That's why I spend my time with the, many of the young people here because I want to see, you know, the things that I see aren't really for me, aren't really for Nina. It's the next generation. You know, why did I love Pastor Shane's message last week so well? Because it gave me vision. I want to be a church that's a well, not a fence. I don't want to have any barriers to anyone coming to God. I want it to be a place where people just come because they're getting their thirsty hearts filled. Right? That, that gives me vision. I can pray to that. I can believe for that. I can see that. And so that's what I want to stir. What, what are you seeing? When you're praying, when you're spending time in God, what scripture comes to you and, and says they're going to do this. You know, when, when I got the five congregations, it was out of when Jesus fed the 5,000. There was something that, that leapt in my spirit, five congregations. I can see it. It's a way off from happening. There's some good things happening right now, to be honest, with maybe a, a church in the gap and in that area. But, but how's it going to happen? I don't know. I'm just going to walk. I'm just going to believe. I'm just going to pray. And I'm going to see it happen. And the men and women and young people in this place that are going to walk in generations to come in the vision that God's given me. I'm not even going to walk in it. It's very interesting that, that Isaac's vision, or Jacob's vision was about generations to come. See, your, your vision isn't just about yourself. The vision isn't just so I can get a bigger, better, whatever. The vision is that generations is an eternal. It's God. It's God. It's God doing something. Keep your vision alive. Because you can see it again and again and again and again. I want the band to come. Eventually, Jacob is released by Laban into his God vision. But first, he makes his peace with Laban. It doesn't mean that he trusts Laban. It doesn't mean he likes Laban. It doesn't mean he respects Laban. 
To be honest, he doesn't ever deal with Laban again, but he does make his peace with him because that's God. He wants us to have a clear conscience with everyone, even the Labans of our life. And you can only do that if you know that God controls your life and not Laban. This whole deal is a lordship issue. Who's really Lord? Is it Laban? Is it my finances? Is it my abilities? Or is it God? Who's Lord of my life? And I want to tell you, each one of us are going to go through a lordship time. And it's going to be different for each one of us. For some will be in a job, for some will be in ministry, for some will be in a relationship, for some will be finance, for some will be sickness. But whatever it be, there'll be a place where you'll sit down and you go, who is in control? Who is in control? And when you settle that, when you settle that, no matter what Laban's done to you, no matter what comes across your way, you're going to be okay because you understand God is in control. That's what happens to all of our lives. It happened in the Garden of Eden. Did God really? Can God really? The enemy's always trying us to question God's control in our lives. And so we look at the circumstance. Look what he did. Look at all these things. God can't be in that. God can't be in that. It's evil. It's wrong. God can't use someone like that. But God's in control. When it needs to happen, it's going to happen. Some Labans aren't going to go away, to be honest. Maybe your Labans are relative. You're still going to have to see them. Maybe your Laban's your boss. You're still going to have to go to work tomorrow. So you need to learn how to deal with them and that, you, that your God vision is overcoming what it is that you're having to pass through. No Laban is bigger than God's vision for your life. No Laban is. So I want you to just close your eyes right now and I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for everyone in this place who has a Laban. I'm going to pray right now that you would outlast your Laban. 20 years. And I'm not prophesying that over anyone that you're going to have to deal with that for 20 years. But that's what Jacob did. The man who did everything to make his thing happen was able to go 20 years because he had a vision in his heart and kept looking forward.